As uh, John gets ready to read to you from this Gospel of Mark, I want to sort of set context for you. We are in the second Sunday of a series looking at Christianity through the eyes of Peter. Last week, uh, we took a look at Peter's call into ministry where Jesus comes along by the water, sees uh, Peter fishing, says, uh, hey, Peter, why don't you drop everything and come follow me? And he did, which has always been a little problematic for me to figure out how one would do that. And then we got more into the story last week and discovered, quite frankly, Jesus and Peter had a relationship leading up to that moment that gave Peter an impetus to want to follow. And there was a backstory. And uh, because of that, uh, Jesus was able to call Peter. He answered in the same way in which you and I might want to think about where Christ has been with us over the length of our life to wherever you are in this moment. So that saying yes to Jesus isn't just an impulse around meeting Jesus today for the first time, for example, but an acknowledgement of one who's claimed you for a long time. Well, since that call, a number of things have happened in the gospel, and I'm going to get into some of that in a few moments. But now Jesus has taken his disciples sort of out of their comfort zone and out of their territory to an amazing, beautiful place, almost a vacation resort kind of place. And now he asks Peter and the others the next important question. Listen. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, John. And I would invite you to join with me in a word of prayer. What am I supposed to do next, Lord? How am I supposed to figure out those things I have to figure out in my life? How do I find peace in this moment? Today, Lord, we ask that you would move in all of our hearts and minds so that each one of us, as we wrestle with questions like these, we would find such a powerful inner presence of you giving us peace and assurance in the midst of the unknown and clarity to see what can be known and strength to do what can be done. I ask you to bless the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts and minds in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, once Peter and Andrew and James and John and the others eventually over a period of time said yes to Jesus, what did they do next? They went for a walk. Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, come live in this house with me. He said, come follow me. And they started walking. Can you think of a time when you went for a nice long walk with someone? 
When you walk with someone, doesn't it change the dynamic of the relationship rather than if you are driving with someone? When I'm driving with someone, that gives them the potential to change the radio station. It gives them the chance to tell me when I need to slow down. It gives them the chance to help me get corrected in a number of ways. Can I get an amen? Amen. But when I walk with someone, I have rarely had anybody say, Rick, turn your signal on. I've never had anybody walking with me say, Rick, slow down. Well, that's actually not true, but lately it hasn't happened a lot. (laughs) When you're walking with someone, everything changes about what's going on around you. First of all, you don't blur by things, you see things. Go for a walk around Clarkston. You will see things that you forgot were there and discover things you never knew. Even those of you who are lifers in Clarkston, every once in a while you walk around and you pay attention to things that you're going to be completely shocked by. Well, not you won't be shocked by, you'll never see them if you're driving by. Go for a walk. You'll talk about things differently on a walk than you will in a car, right? When you go for a walk, sometimes that's when you have the most important conversations. Yes? Because you have time. And you get to know the people you're on the walk with more intimately than if you're on a driving, unless you're taking a van full of teenagers to Appalachia. That has its own biblical understanding that we'll get into on another day. Jesus invited them for a walk. Because it's along the walk that he was going to reveal over a significant period of time through a variety of events an awful lot about what they needed to know that could not be taught to them just sitting in a classroom. They were going to have to spend time eating meals together, camping, if you will. They were going to have to spend time going from town to town and meeting strangers and old friends together. They were going to create memories that they would always have later on in their life. They'd remember, do you, Jesus, do you remember the time when we, and they would all go, yeah, we were, yeah, and they'd put themselves in that story. They went for a walk with Jesus, a walk of faith. And since the story of last week where uh, Peter and others drop everything and follow Jesus, it's been quite a walk if you follow the gospel of Mark. I mean, in that time, they've seen Jesus heal countless people. They've seen Jesus uh, give them the authority and have them experience healing on their own in the name of Jesus. They've seen Jesus, oh, you know, walk on water and feed 5,000. It's been a walk. And all of it has been in territory that they knew well. Really staying around northern Oakland County. They knew where they were. But now in the passage that John just read to us, Jesus says, y'all follow me. And they get up. They didn't really ask a lot where he was going because they trusted him. They were in territory they knew, but all of a sudden they realized they were moving out of their territory. They were going on a much longer walk. The walk that they took in this uh, journey, part of Scripture, probably would have taken them just two days on its own to complete. And it was going into a very foreign territory, Caesarea Philippi. 
Caesarea Philippi is at the headwaters of the Jordan, and if you were to go there today, you would see waterfalls and flowing streams, and it's gorgeous. It's like an oasis. It's got greenery. It's just beautiful. And also in Caesarea Philippi at that time, and for at least a couple of centuries before that time, it was a place where many people came to worship different gods, the foremost of which was Pan, the Roman god Pan. Now, I'm not going to assume that all of you are up right now on, on your uh, understanding of Roman gods, so let me just say to you very quickly, Pan's the one who's half man, half goat. He's got a flute. He's rather repugnant. And he's known for chasing the ladies, as if it were. And so when you go to worship Pan, you're worshiping a power and source, hopefully that will bring produ- I mean, luck on the harvest and, and on your livestock, and also a little sensuality mixed in. And people would go to Caesarea Philippi, and if you were to look at pictures today, you would see on the stone walls carvings, and quite frankly, very much in the, in the style of our windows, cut into rock, and in that setting, there would be uh, uh, wooden depictions of the god Pan, idols that folks would come and worship in front of. This is where Jesus takes the disciples in this passage. They are in foreign territory where people worship foreign gods, and he says, look around. We left home and we're here. Now let me ask you this question. Who do people say that I am? Well, if you've ever asked a confirmation class a biblical question, you know what happens just now. They start looking around and, you know, perfectly well-hearing people become immediately deaf you know, and then they start just throwing out some things they've heard, uh, hoping to get it right. Well, you know, I've heard people say, you know, you're John the Baptist. Of course, they didn't mean literally John the Baptist, because he was just recently killed. But what they believed is that people could embody, not maybe physically, but spiritually, at least, the spirits of those who've gone before them. So you are the new incarnation. You are John the Baptist, too. And your mission is to continue what John the Baptist did. That's what we hear some people saying you are. And then others said, well, you're Elijah. Now they're going back and picking up Elijah, who's one of the old-time prophets from the Old Testament, because Elijah was a forerunner of the one who was going to set the stage for God doing amazing things. And they had seen Jesus do amazing things. You must be Elijah. Come back or one of the other prophets. I love how it says that. Somebody says, you, you must be Elijah. And then you got the one who's at the end of the class, who's just throwing, some, well, or one of the other prophets. I don't know who. Nice try. So they're taking these guesses as to who Jesus is from what they've heard others say. And you know what's coming, right? But who do you say that I am? Now it just gets quiet. They aren't even looking around. 
you can sort of almost see the disciples sitting there becoming introspective. How do you begin to collect all the things you've seen Jesus do up to this point, even early in his ministry? How do you begin to make sense of it? How do you begin to condense it into an answer to a question like that, who do you say that I am? It isn't because they were silent because they didn't have thoughts. It's just they were trying to get their thoughts together. And it was such an amazing experience to get to know Jesus. It wasn't like it was a snap kind of thing to say. But, of course, Peter, who is always the one who asks the question... You remember the story of taking the confirmation class to the Jewish synagogue, Temple Bethel, and we're sitting in the front row, and the rabbi takes a shot and asks, hey, Clarkson United Methodist Church confirmation class is here. Let's ask them if they have any questions. And it was Peter, not his name, but it was Peter, who said, why don't you guys believe in Jesus? Okay, thank you. That's this Peter, okay? That's this Peter. He's the one who says, well, you are, what's he say? You are the Messiah. But what is that saying? See, Peter wasn't being reckless with his question any more than that confirmation was being reckless with his. He had a real question. He wanted to know the answer. Peter's answer was his best guess that Jesus was the one that the Jewish community had been pointing to for some time, for centuries. And there are all kinds of names, or I mean, uh, understandings attached to that name. Uh, The Messiah would be the one who would establish the kingdom of God on earth. The Messiah would come and overthrow the political oppression that the Jews were under and give them, once again, their status and power in the world back in the days of King David. But to say as Messiah also is to say this. You are one who's anointed. Now, to be anointed is specifically an action of worship ritual back in the day where you take oil and you anoint someone. We still do it in the Christian church. And it means you're being set aside for a particular purpose, called out for a particular purpose. Not just generic discipleship, Not better discipleship, but specific work. Here's your task. Jesus is being set aside to do a specific work in the name of God. That's what Peter's saying. So then the question comes, set apart for what? What does it mean if you... Call Jesus Messiah. And like Jesus often did, when you're wanting him just to lay it out for you, just to give you the answer, he says, let's go for a walk. I had someone the other day who was sitting in worship a couple of Sundays ago at 9 o'clock service sending me an email saying, how come Jesus makes it so darn hard to know what's going on? I said, because Jesus isn't about telling you what's going on. It's about having you build a relationship with him. Let's go for a walk. 
Oh, wait a minute. Before we go for the walk, let me test where you are on this. So he calls over other folks who are around. The disciples are there, a few others. It says Jesus gathered a crowd, which he was very good at doing. And he said this to them. Jesus must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. John didn't read that portion because it's sort of hard to handle on one. I had him stop. You see, Jesus had a hard message to say that folks were not going to receive well. Which is, oh, by the way, why Jesus told them not to tell anybody he was the Messiah. Because if Peter had gone off running his mouth about Jesus being the Messiah, what would they have said? Well, he's a healer. He does miracles. And those things would have been true, but would have missed the point of who Jesus is and what he was about. Jesus did not come just to heal people physically. People in future generations were going to become ill. And why we believe that Jesus is indeed a part of physical healing, he was more than a physical healer. He was more than the miracles. He's the God of the ordinary stuff, too. He knew that if they were to go out and start proclaiming about Jesus as if they knew everything about Jesus, they were going to get most of it wrong. Because standing there in front of an idol of a half-goat, half-man, Jesus was going to reveal to them that he was fully human and fully God. Almost as hard to get your head around as talking about a half-goat, half-man. Unless you get to know him. So you got to get to know him. Go for a walk. Because this walk's going to take us to a place where not only are we going to be by these wonderful waterfalls and we're going to heal people and there's going to be miracles, I'm going to have to suffer I'm going to have to die. And you will probably too. And Peter shows why Jesus said, keep your mouth shut. No, Lord, that can't happen. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to allow that to happen. Why? Because that's not the God Peter wanted Jesus to be. Peter wanted a God who was going to make everything easy. Peter wanted a God who was going to remove all the obstacles. People wanted a God, Peter wanted a God who was going to offer to Peter massive change with little effort or input or transformation. And sure enough, anything about God for Peter had nothing to do with suffering. He's not alone. How many times in our life do we come into the face of abject suffering and wonder why God is absent? Anybody else? It isn't that God causes that suffering, but he sure doesn't run from it. And understands that going through the suffering may be, in fact, what is necessary to get to resurrection. That it's in the midst of suffering that God does some of God's best work. Maybe because in the midst of suffering, we finally just let go of the reins and say, God, you take over. And we begin to see things we can't see on the sunny days, on the easy days. 
Think about every significant relationship that's healthy in your life, past and present. Have any of those functioned without some level of sacrifice on your part? I didn't have to sacrifice when I was a kid with my parents. But one day, we all get to care for our parents like they cared for us, hopefully. My deepest, closest friends are not my deepest, closest friends because we can just tell the stories about when we were having a heck of a good time is because when no one else would stand with me, they stood with me or held me. Our significant others, whoever they might be, (laughs) once infatuation moves on, we discover whether we're really going to learn about love or not. Amen? Amen? So why is it different with God? Peter didn't want to accept a God who would come and love us so powerfully in this world that that love would withstand and even go through suffering to show us that this faith is deeper than a nice walk in the park. Ann Dillard said it this way, a life without sacrifice is an abomination. Jesus, I think, would agree. So you want to follow me? Let's keep going. Who do you say that I am? You say I'm the Messiah? Then let me come to you and let you come walk with me so you can understand that I'm not going to be a Messiah in your image. Let me be God. Surrender all the assumptions that you want to make me into, all the idols that you want to make of what you want to project on me. Come and follow me. Lay it down. Put away your maps and just walk with me. Who do you say that I am? You see, we listen so hard to what Peter said answered. Because we want to know if he was right or not. It's not about being right. In seminary, we learned this term called Christology. It's a fancy word we like to use on people who don't know it to show that we're superior. But let me tell you what it means. (laughs) Because none of us knew it when we first heard it either. Christology simply means, what do you think about, what's your theology, what's your belief about Jesus Christ? Fully human, fully divine, all that stuff. This was not an answer that required the correct Christological answer. Peter had no way of knowing that answer at this point. Jesus had not gone through the suffering. Jesus had not been killed on the cross. Jesus had not been buried. He had not been resurrected. And for some of us, we still don't know about those things either, intimately and personally. So you're not going to get the answer right And there's not a right answer so that I can walk around this sanctuary today and say, what do you say, Becky, who Jesus is? Tom, who do you say Jesus is? Larry, who do you say Jesus is? And walk around the room and make sure that everybody gives the right answer. That's not the point. When Jesus asked, 
who do you say that I am? It almost didn't matter what came out of Peter's mouth because it's pretty clear he didn't understand it in the next paragraph. When Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Whatever answer comes out of your mouth, the next thing Jesus says is, let me give you a little bit different understanding of that, and let's go for a walk. To declare who Jesus is is not to go, I'm the A student, I got it right. It is simply at this point in my life, right now where I am, what I'm going through, what I'm living with, who I'm dealing with, how I'm being blessed, this is who I say Jesus is. Whatever that answer is, as long as truthful to where I am in that moment, Jesus can work with that as long as I'm willing to take the next step. Because Jesus is not about right answers. He's about right relationship, healthy relationship, honest, full, revealed, vulnerable, willing to embrace blessing and suffering relationships. Will you walk with me? Who do you say Jesus is right now? Whatever that answer, tell it to Christ. Tell it to Jesus. And don't think you're going to get a grade. You're not. You're going to get an invitation. Because you haven't got it all right any more than I do. But if you just are willing to accept the next invitation to go for a walk with him, the amazing things that you will see and have happened in you and in me. Who do you say that I am, he asks. Well, who do you? And because of that, where will you go next? To know more. To be blessed more. And yes, to sacrifice more. See you next week more on Peter and on us.